Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This week I'm taking us off the beaten track and I'm actually going to venture into Ireland itself, which isn't part of the UK. However, it's definitely a story I think that's worth telling you about. So this week I'm going to tell you about Linda and Charlotte Mulhall, who are also known as the Scissor Sisters. So, Caitlin, have you heard of these girls? What, this is our sister? <laughs> yes. Um, I've heard of the band. Yes, that's where my a, head goes. Yeah, or there's the lesbian connotation. Mm-hmm. Well, they are neither in a band or lesbians. That I know of. Um, that, yeah, don't sorry. Really like the night, Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, definitely not them. So, I'll just begin. The Mulhalls uh, were from Kilcare Gardens, which is a working class area just south of Dublin. Their parents, John and Kathleen Mulhall, raised a family of three boys and three girls, two of which are Linda and Charlotte Mulhall, who are our main characters. I don't think that's the best word for them, but they're the two main people that I'm going to be talking about who are part of that family. Now, John, well... I'm trying to say the two main people. Yeah. Two main people. Characters. Have you made this up? No. Maybe. Well, you I can't hear something in a story. You're just writing. You just get, yeah, you can't be bothered researching for this week. So you've just decided to write something. <laughs> I am. <laughs> no, they're the two main people. But I did say characters is probably not the right word. So that's why I needed you to. At least you knew. It wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But no, they're the two main people. Now, John Mulhall, the dad, allegedly abused Kathleen, which is the mother, on numerous and frequent occasions, which the children witnessed growing up. So they've not had the best um, upbringing to begin with. Now, John and Kathleen's marriage broke down and Kathleen entered into a relationship with Farah Swali Noor in 2002, whom she met in a nightclub. Kathleen hadn't left her husband by this point, as with the abuse, it was probably something that she couldn't have done without a fight. So instead, she moved Farah into their family home to live with them. Now, John obviously was not up for this at all. I was going to say, the husband's still there. Yeah, now because they... What a way to end a relationship. Exactly. So she brought Farah in and John... As we'd all think, he did leave because he was not having it at all. And he also took some of his children with him, but not all of them. He rented various accommodations in Dublin over a period of a year, and then he actually moved back into the family home with his children because Kathleen left and moved to Cork with um, with Farah. Now, Farah allegedly subjected Kathleen to regular beatings, and so she was back to being in an abusive relationship. He was very physical with his abuse, and he had broken both of her wrists, multiple fingers and ribs throughout their relationship, and he also frequently raped her. As you can imagine, this clearly isn't this man's first time being abusive he was very violent man and he'd done it to various other women throughout his life and he mostly abused those younger than him so i will go on and tell you a little bit about farah nur 
Now, Farah arrived in Ireland in December 1996, and he was from Kenya. Now, the Department of Justice, Equality and Law Reform ordered that he be deported, but he appealed and was granted citizenship in March 1999 on grounds he became the father of an Irish-born child. He had four previous convictions as well for offences, including intoxication, threatening and abusive behaviour and assault. So this man is violent. In 1997, he raped a mentally disabled 16-year-old Chinese girl who later gave birth to a son. Now, two other women had children by him and they both described Farah having raped them. Noor had faced eight charges of disorder and assault, one involving sexual assault, in which a knife was found at the scene by the police. He was convicted on three occasions but never was he ever in jail. So this man, for everything he's done, he's never served any time in jail and he's been given citizenship. Now, Kathleen and Farah later returned to Dublin after being in Cork and they returned in 2004, where his abusiveness towards Kathleen became more known to, you know, their friends and family. Now, I'll go on to speak more about Farah, but I think beforehand I'll tell you a little bit about Kathleen's two girls, Linda and Charlotte. So a little bit about Linda Mulhall first. Linda was the oldest between her and her sister Charlotte. There was, in fact, a nine-year age difference between them. She was unemployed all her life and she had four children. Linda had a history of alcohol and drug abuse for most of her life and she had one previous conviction in 1993 for larceny. Linda left school early to start having children and he and and he sorry yeah and she and her boyfriend at the time went on to have four children together. When she was in her 20s her, the relationship with the father of her children broke up and she got into another relationship with an individual named Wayne Kinsella who subsequently abused all four of her children throughout their relationship. He used to beat them constantly, and sometimes it was for no reason at all other than he got a kick out of it. He was an extremely violent man, and for a long time, Linda did not do anything to stop his abuse, such as going to the police or social services. However, there was no doubt a reason for why she didn't do that. It was probably out of fear or that she herself was also being abused, and that she couldn't see a, see a way out. One day, though, after having an argument with Wayne, for no other reason than to just get back at him, Linda went to the police and told them about the abuse. Because of this, all four children were taken away from her from social services, as they also found out about her drug and alcohol abuse, and Wayne was imprisoned for six years. Now, a little bit about Wayne as well. Obviously, they... They stopped their life together and Linda never saw him again. But it was later revealed that Wayne also has received, I think it was like nine years or something um, in jail for murder as well. So, you know, it's kind of good that she got away from there. Now, as everything and everyone was taken away from Linda, she fell into a deep depression and got deeper into the alcohol and drug addictions. She did try and turn her life around a few times. But it's easier said than done when it comes to addictions and also getting the help required to keep you on the straight and narrow, not just off of it. 
She did, however, manage to control her addictions much, much easier, and she managed to sort her life out enough that she managed to get her children back. And by the time of the murder that took place in 2005, which I'll tell you about in a little minute, she was almost completely off of drugs and alcohol. Now, on to her sister Charlotte Mulhall. Charlotte, like her sister, she had a history of drug and alcohol abuse. She had a number of minor previous convictions for criminal damage and public order offences, but nothing major that would make you believe that this woman is going to go on and commit murder. She was also unemployed throughout her life, but she was occasionally involved in prostitution for some extra money, and she sometimes worked alongside her mum, Kathleen, who had introduced her to that line of work. Charlotte lived in and out of the family home, occasionally renting her own place, but nothing too permanent. It's safe to say that they both didn't have the best upbringing, and the police later on described the girl's upbringing as troubled and tough. Now let's jump to the 20th of March 2005, where Linda, who was 30, and Charlotte, 21, were sitting at the family home. It was the day before Charlotte's 22nd birthday, and so she had decided to start her birthday celebrations early and get drunk. Who can blame her? And she was trying to convince Linda to join her. However, Linda hadn't long gotten custody back of her kids and so declined. Charlotte knew, though, that Linda was a recovering alcoholic and that she could easily persuade her sister to start drinking with her. And so she wore her down and they both got on it. After a couple of hours, Charlotte received a call from Kathleen, who was in Dublin City Centre with Farah and asked if they wanted to join them there to continue the celebrations. After some persuasion, Linda eventually said she would go and she cancelled her appointment that she was having later on that day to meet up with her 11-year-old son. At 1.15pm, they caught the bus into Dublin Centre to meet up with Kathleen and Farah, who had been drinking for the past three days as it was just past St Patrick's Day and they never really got off the drink since. Instead of meeting at a pub, they went to the shops, got a bottle of vodka, four small bottles of coke, mixed them together and drank them in the street. As it's way cheaper drinking this way than having to pay for all the drinks at the bar, especially in Dublin, because those prices are crazy. You've been there too, Caitlin, I think. Um, But yeah, Dublin is an expensive place. Dublin bankrupt me. Yeah. I'm generally not joking. We went for like, you when you like, it was really cheap. It's really cheap to fly from Scotland to Dublin. And we went like on a really cheap, like, oh, this is really cheap. Got a lovely hotel, really cheap. Then got over there and we spent so much money. I don't know what happened. Literally just on food and drink. Yeah, it's crazy. The prices are crazy. So if we were more like um, Kathleen and everyone, we should have just got a bottle of vodka and a a wee bottle of juice. I know, that's what I should have done. But it's so frowned upon, I just don't know why. Um, But anyway, so they did this and they wandered down and sat up here. And then Linda, Charlotte and Kathleen took some ecstasy. However, Farah stuck to just drinking as they knew he can get violent when on drugs. And they did not want that to happen. Over the next three hours, they carried on drinking and the women took another couple of ecstasy each. Farah was getting more and more drunk, like them all, and then he became became quiet, snappy, and then agitated. And then he became argumentative and shouting in the street, just ruining the atmosphere. 
Because of this, they decided to go back to Kathleen and Farah's flat to carry on the drinking and drugs. And on the walk, which was only a few minutes away from the city centre, Farah saw a five-year-old Chinese boy. He got really emotional, ran up to the wee boy and was like, it's my son, it's my boy. So Farah was crying and he was hugging the child, which made the kid cry and also worry the mum. Now, remember, he raped the young Chinese girl a few years back, which will be why he was acting like this. However, he had never met his son, as quite rightly so, the women didn't let him see her boy. He was causing a major scene in the middle of the street, and so Kathleen was shouting at him, which then got Linda and Charlotte shouting at them to stop. And in turn, Linda stormed off to the flat ahead of them all. Charlotte did manage to calm Linda down by the time they got to the house and then by the time Kathleen and Farah turned up, everything had gone back to normal and they just carried on their drinking. Like that whole thing just never happened. Now, Charlotte put on some music and went through to the kitchen to help her mum with the drinks, where she then decided to crush an ecstasy pill and put it into Farah's drink. Charlotte later claimed it was just to get them on the same buzz as the rest of them, but had forgotten the reason why he wasn't on them in the first place was because he was... very... Oh, sorry. No? Just because that's very not okay. No, it's not. Like, you don't just do that. A lot of the situation's not okay, but to just decide to, like, drug somebody, that's not okay. If that was the other way round, it'd be a huge thing, so you can't just do that. Yeah. No, no, I totally agree. And also, he's a very violent person, so why would you chance it? But they have been drinking for hours, so I guess, you know, things just go out the window. They then just carried on drinking in the living room, where when Farah and Linda sat next to each other on a two-seater sofa, Charlotte on the sofa arm, and Kathleen had her own seat. As the drinking went on, Farah, in his intoxicating state, started to get very touchy-feely with Linda, touching her thigh and putting his arm around her. At first, she didn't say anything, as she knew he was very drunk, but felt very uncomfortable, as it's her mum's man doing this, and hoped it would stop. Soon after, Charlotte noticed this and said, What are you doing? Get off my sister. Which Farah did do but not for long because he went back to being touchy-feely and started whispering things into Linda's ear. She couldn't hear much as he was drunk, so he was slurring his words, and he also had a thick Kenyan accent. She did manage to pick up a few things that he was saying, such as that she was a creature of the night, you're just like your mammy. And so at this point, she was disgusted with what he was doing and saying to her. So she tried to get up and leave, but he pulled her back down onto the couch. At this point, Charlotte and Kathleen were in the kitchen sorting out their drinks. But when they heard Linda shouting at Farah, they ran back through to the living room. He still wasn't letting Linda go. And so all three women were shouting at him, but he was still determined to get with Linda and so pulled her up off the sofa and started to drag her towards the bedroom. At this point, Kathleen knew what his intentions were. And so Kathleen and Charlotte began to hit him to get her to let get him to let go of Linda, which he eventually did, but only to then turn round and start to brutally beat up Kathleen in front of her daughters. He then started dragging Kathleen to the bedroom, but this time he started making slitting throat gestures with his hand. 
This terrified Kathleen, and in that moment she recalls that she remembered back to one of her phone calls with one of Farah's ex-girlfriends, who had told her that she was never going to change him, and if you don't get out now, he is going to kill you. Kathleen started screaming and shouting and telling the girls that he's going to kill her, and that apparently this is where she then says to the girls, please kill him for me. Both girls panicked and knew that he was too strong for them both to be able to grab him off of their mother so they didn't know what to do as they also couldn't talk him down as he was high off drugs alcohol and he was very violent so 21 year old charlotte ran into the kitchen grabbed a stanley knife from the drawer grabbed the back of farah's head and sliced a four inch wound into farah's throat Farah then stumbled through the hall and through the bedroom door, falling onto the floor but hitting his head off the side of the bed on his way down. He was still alive and mobile, and so Charlotte picked up, panicked, sorry, and decided to slit his throat for a second time. But he was still alive. And so at this right. point... Right, I feel like if someone was attacking my mum quite seriously or even you and I was going to help I don't think I would just straight up go for the jugular do you know what I mean yeah I get that but possibly because they're so like high off of it and stuff and they might have not thought that there was any other way to do yeah, it yeah totally I just think it's quite extreme just being like help and it's like right okay I'll slit the throat I'm like Jesus yeah exactly and then we also have to remember that apparently the Kathleen did say to them please kill him for me so, you know, maybe Charlotte has literally taken this to a fact and just, you know. It's very that whole if your mum asked you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? Yeah, you know I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, like 100%. If my mum said to kill somebody, I'd be like, oh. Maybe not, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can do that. Yeah. No, I completely get where you're coming from. Um, but then at this point, because he's actually still alive, he's been, his throat has been cut twice and he is still alive. So at this point, Linda was also panicking, as she would be, and she ran into the kitchen and grabbed a hammer. She then ran through to the bedroom to help her sister, and with all her strength, she repeatedly hit Farah on his head with this hammer. Linda has since said that she can't actually remember how many times she had hit him, but it would be one of those traumas where it's like so spur of the moment and she's probably in complete shock that you most likely wouldn't remember unless it was premeditated. And then this would have been your plan all along. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Now, you may be thinking, where is Kathleen whilst all this is going on? Well, Kathleen is sitting in the living room watching television drinking whilst her daughters are brutally murdering her abusive partner. Now, Kathleen says she did not actually see the murder and that her daughters prevented her from entering the bedroom to see what was going on. Charlotte and Linda at this point would have been so filled with adrenaline that they were not stopping. Charlotte went back through to the kitchen, picked up a bread knife and stabbed Farah 27 times with it. Linda continued to hit him with the hammer. Now, with the wife, uh, the knife wounds, he had a punctured lung, liver and stomach, and one of his kidneys were fully severed. Once the girls realised that Farah was definitely completely dead, that is where, when the reality for them both started to set in. 
Both girls panicked, cried, they hugged each other, and Linda had even collapsed. Both girls, covered in blood, then went through to the living room together to tell their mum what they had just done. Kathleen immediately panicked and screamed at them to get rid of the body. Now, Linda and Charlotte then dragged Farah's corpse into the bathroom where they began to dismember the remains. Now, later, Linda claims that Charlotte said they would have to cut him up. However, Charlotte claims that it was actually their mother who told them they'd have to cut him up. Linda was the most panicked throughout this whole process where she would sit and cry on the toilet, whereas Charlotte was much more composed and she knew that there was a job that needed to be done. Farah's head, limbs and penis were severed using a kitchen bread knife that was blunt and a Stanley knife along with the hammer. They put towels over his legs to stem the flow of blood and the dismemberment took five hours where parts of the body were chopped off. They then put these in the bath to get them out of the way to carry on cutting the rest of them. The reason his penis was cut off was that at some point throughout all that was going on, Kathleen had said that he used to rape her and then Charlotte cut off his penis and said that he would never be able to rape her mum again. The beheading was obviously the hardest part as they only had two knives, one small one and one blunt one. So you can only imagine. Now, the body parts were then placed in black plastic bags and three different sport bags that belonged to Farah. They then went on to clean up the place. And again, you can only imagine what the bathroom looked like. The police later on did say that their cleanup was impeccable as they had bleached the entire place and it didn't look like a crime scene had happened at all. The police later on in the case even searched the house three times and the first twice they couldn't believe that the bathroom was in fact the murder scene as it was just too clean. Which is mental to think they did all this while on drugs. Yeah. They they were off their face, drugs, alcohol, everything. But they... You think that so many things could go missing and it could be because it's an oversight or so on drugs, whereas it seems to have made them much more like aware, which yeah. is not normally the case when it comes to drugs. No, not at all. But they are they're on it and they're getting every detail. Um they then went on to well, after they cleaned it the next morning at 7am, all three women set off to dispose of Farah's body in the Royal Canal. This took the three women several trips and it was Charlotte's birthday, so not the best way to be spending your birthday. The head and the penis had other plans, though. They knew that the head was where they could identify him from, and so they did not dump this in the canal. The head was brought by bus to a park. Um, Well, actually, beforehand, they walked through the square shopping centre to the park. Can I button that you didn't say they had other plans for the head? Do you know that you said the head and the penis had other plans? Oh! (laughs) So it's like the penis had other plans. (laughs) Sorry. No, no. The women had other plans for the head and the penis. <laughs> they were not. Yeah, sorry. Um, but no, they were actually in a bag and they were walking through a shopping centre. So that anybody could have seen them, but it was just in a sports bag. So always be aware of what people are carrying in their bags. I must say. Um, but they then went to uh, North Park and they couldn't all agree 
on where to put the head and they started to argue. And so Kathleen started digging a hole under a bench where they then placed it. The hole wasn't that deep though, as it was then like a mound under the bench. So you could clearly see that there was something under there. But they didn't care straight away and they left it there. Kathleen then threw the knives and the hammer into a nearby pond and they all went home. Over the next few days, all three women went on a drink and drugs binge to get through what they had just done. And Linda was coping the worst. The killing only came to light 10 days later when Farah's leg with a sock on the end was seen floating in the canal a few hundred yards from the from Croke Park on the 30th of March 2005. Now, the police sub-aqua divers retrieved most of the rest of his body in seven parts. Before the leg was found, though, the women would take walks along the canal just to double check that there was nothing floating or there was no signs of his body. However, on the 30th of March, when they were taking one of their daily walks, this is when they saw the leg being fished out of the water and they were actually caught on a local broadcasting camera to put on the news. Oh my God. Imagine yeah. like going along to check every day and then you actually go and it's being fished out. You would just you'd be stood there like... In shock. Me. You'd be like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, but no, they were on camera and they were looking over the bridge into the canal and the camera person thought that they were just shocked bystanders. No. Yeah. And that's when, you know how when these things happen, the, the you always get like, oh, there's some bystanders and there's the local people. This is how they are. That's literally what the cameraman was going for. He did not realise he was actually recording the murderers, most likely having an absolute panic of what was going on. Now, a number of days later, Linda Mulhall returned to the park and dug up the head as she was concerned they would find it. Using her son's school bag, she transferred it to a field in the estate where she broke it up with a hammer before burying it again. Now, in order to complete this, she did have a bottle of vodka to get her through. The police traced uh, Farah's identity through media appeals. He was initially on the report as a white male. However, as we know, Farah is actually black. Now, the police didn't find this out until they had taken the clothes that had been left on parts of his body off to discover his black skin underneath. Now, this is due to the other parts of the skin that weren't covered being exposed to the water elements for so long and the sun. Now, I don't know the science behind it, sorry, so I can't explain how, but... That's why at first no one was coming forward and knowing who it was because they were appealing for a white man. Now, Farah was only identified when someone recognised his T-shirt on the recovered torso. A friend of Farah had identified the T-shirt as by chance because it was actually the T-shirt they had last seen him in, but it was also the one he was murdered in. After 100 days of the body being on the database, it had eventually been recognised as Farah Noor. The police looked him up on the database and found that he had actually three children. And so they got in contact with one of the mothers to take some DNA samples. So they took the DNA from the mum and the son and tested it against the DNA of this body that they had. Results showed that the DNA of the son matched half with the mother and half with the body parts found in the canal. That key witness also told the police that he had last seen him with Kathleen and her children and that he could be violent. 
The police were interested in Kathleen and they wanted to search her house, but she had in fact moved since then, which then gets rid of a load of evidence in itself, even though the police were still able to search the initial flat. But, you know, at the, the beginning, they were clearly searching the wrong house until she told them, look, I've moved. Now, a few weeks prior to Farah's body being identified, Kathleen had went to visit two of her sons in prison, John and James Mulhall, where she had told them everything that Linda and Charlotte had done. She made sure, though, to tell them that she had stayed out of the whole thing. The boys kept this information to themselves. However, when they found out that the police were sniffing around their mum and that the girls were doing nothing about it, and were letting the police and were letting her take all the blame. They felt it was so disrespectful of them, and so they both went to the police and told them the whole story. That's when the police got the location and managed to check the flat that Kathleen and Farah once shared. When they entered, they noticed that a chunk of carpet was missing, and so they got the forensic team in. But chances of forensic were low because two lots of tenants had moved in since. Walls had been painted and furniture changed over. Now, initially, forensics picked up nothing. However, the police were determined, and so they drafted in more advanced forensic operations, where they then found minuscule blood spots all around the flat. As John and James had told the police it was their sisters, they went to question them first. When they were questioning Linda, they noticed that she was in a very bad way, and that she hadn't been sleeping, and that she had been talking taking too much alcohol and drugs, and had even tried to commit suicide by cutting her wrists. With all the build-up, Linda couldn't take it anymore, and so she ended up telling the police absolutely everything from start to finish. She was very emotional, which you would be, and you could see that once she had told them everything, a huge weight was lifted off of her shoulders. The police went to arrest Charlotte and when they were questioning her, she said that it was in fact Kathleen and not them. However, police weren't buying it due to how detailed Linda's confession was. So since Charlotte knew the police weren't going to buy her story, she then decided to stick with her sister's version of events. Throughout this whole time, Kathleen had in fact cut herself off from her daughters and wanted nothing to do with them. But they only committed murder on her behalf. So, anyway, and to make it all better... I was going to say, she did ask them. As much as I said I wouldn't have gone for the jugular, she did ask. Yeah, exactly. But now she wants nothing to do with them and wants them to take the blame. And in fact, Kathleen moved to England to avoid prosecution. Now, the sisters' trial began in October 2006, and they both actually pleaded not guilty. Charlotte was now aged 23, she was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to life in prison, whereas Linda was only found guilty of manslaughter as she was provoked into committing these crimes. Farah had threatened to rape her and that she was in such a bad way after the murder, she was in such a different state throughout what was happening. The jury thought that both sisters were in a different mindset when the murder was taking place, and so due to this, Linda was only given 15 years. 
Kathleen Mulhall voluntarily returned to Ireland in February 2008 and she was charged with, among other offences, two counts of giving false information to police about Farah's whereabouts and withholding information which she knew or believed would be of assistance in prosecuting her daughters for his murder. She was also charged with impending an arrest in the murder investigation. She pleaded guilty to helping to clean up the crime scene in order to conceal evidence. Kathleen Mulhall was sentenced to five years in prison in May 2009. Now, the girl's father, John Mulhall, he actually hanged himself in Phoenix Park when his daughters were charged with the killing in December 2005. Exactly. Now, it's not believed to have been involved in the killing however there are some sources that say he was called to the flat and saw what they had done and left however that is just hearsay and not fact but at the end of the day he could not take what his his um, daughters had done and so he killed himself now Farah's head Farah's head and penis have never been found to this day, although Linda did later claim to fellow inmates that she had in fact smashed his head and distributed it around the park, but again, it's never been found. Now, Charlotte caused further national controversy in 2008 when photographs of her holding a knife to the throat of a male prisoner in Mountjoy Prison were leaked to the press. Now, as a result, Security in Irish prisons, all Irish prisons, were increased and Charlotte was moved into a different prison in Limerick. Now, the girl's brothers, uh, brother, sorry, James Mulhall, later on, um, a few years later, he actually pleaded guilty to a robbery of two sex workers and he claimed that he robbed the woman to support his own six children and his sister Linda's four children because he took them in after she was jailed. In 2018, Linda Mahal was released from prison after serving 13 years of her 15-year sentence at the age of 42. Now, there's no information on what she's up to and doing now. She's probably just, you know, keeping a low profile, but there's nothing saying that she's back in jail or anything like that. Um, There's also actually a number of books on this case uh, because it received such a high amount of attention, especially media attention, due to obviously the grotesque nature of this crime. So and that's when obviously the media, they dubbed them the Scissor Sisters, which also when you find out more about this and what happened, there was no scissors involved. So why on earth? Exactly. I know they cut the body up and there were sisters. Well, maybe that's what I'm thinking. If you're thinking if you're maybe cutting something, you'd cut with scissors. Yeah, but that's what the media dubbed them and that's where they were. The media love a name, though. Ben, it was the fucking son. Oh, most likely. Definitely Um, the son of the Daily Records. (laughs) Definitely. And also, I'll put the photos and stuff up on the Instagram as always, but, Caitlin, you, I think, because I'm the same, the faces ring such a bell. Like, they do look very familiar, as in this case, okay. probably all over our news as well. I probably, don't know. yeah. So, um, but yeah, that is the crazy story. Yeah, of... I did think at first when you, I was expecting a different story. But yeah, I find it all very interesting, especially the mum. Like, asking your daughters to do something, yeah, you, you don't take it word for word. But actually to then be like, nothing to do with me is a bit shitty, if I'm honest with you. 
Um, yeah. But also, as I said, love home to bits. But if she was like, can you kill somebody for me? I'd be like, no, don't think it's for me. You, on the other hand, I 